Welcome to the Code Chronicles podcast. Today's episode features James Quick. He chatted with us about content creation, how to handle burnout, and how social media can positively impact your career. Hope you enjoy. Today we have James Quick, the staff developer advocate from PlanetScale. Thank you so much for joining us today, James. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat. So, James, for the very, very few who probably um, don't know about you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Uh, so, full time title role company is staff developer advocate at Planet Scale. I joined Planet Scale in November. So, it's really, I mean, I feel like I've been there a long time. Honestly, I just feel pretty comfortable there, but it's only been a few months. Um, so, that's been going really well doing, you know, the stereotypical developer advocacy stuff. Um, speaking at conferences, I've got several coming up that I'm super excited about, uh, doing YouTube videos and blog articles and live streams and podcasts and all the things. And then outside of that, I do a ton of content creation myself. So I run a YouTube channel. I run a podcast, um, and you know, do lots of different content and community activities, discord, all the things. So I just enjoy being around developers, like teaching developers to a certain extent, and then, uh, learning from the people around me as well. So it sounds like you have a lot of free time then now, <laughs> <laughs> not doing too much, right? <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of funny. Like people, people ask about that, which I do, I do a lot. Uh, but I feel like I spend a lot of time, my wife and I doing outside activities as well. Like we've got a soccer game tonight. We've played co-ed soccer together for 10 plus years. She played in college. So that's been a good hobby for us. And the basketball league that I'm in just picked back up. So that's been good. We, I guess a lot of our stuff is like, fitness related, but, um, we run a lot. We have a Peloton, um, you know, we love spending time with our friends. So I, I think it's important for me at least to do as much time as I spend in the web development space in the tech ecosystem in content creation to do a lot of things outside of that as well, to make sure that I get that balance. That's good. And I know that, um, especially since the pandemic burnout has been a big topic of discussion lately. So I'm glad that you're getting that outlet. Um, do you find that spending time outside of work doing, focusing on those hobbies has helped you to better have more energy for the, the tech stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my wife and I have talked a lot about this. Um, you know, if you're feeling tired or, sad for lack of a like more appropriate word but like whatever the feelings are if it's something that's like not super positive every every time i'm in that kind of situation and then i go for a run i go play sports i get on the peloton i go and like try i've been getting into woodworking which has been like frustrating and a lot of fun at the same time like any of those activities every single time i feel better after like i'm in a much better mental state so sometimes like it's not natural for me to want to do those things, but I learn when I need to just force myself, like just literally just go outside and do anything and you'll feel better by the time you go back. And people give that advice for like debugging all the time too, is like you're stuck on a problem. You're like at a certain point, you're not really going to help yourself by just sitting there and banging your head against the computer longer, like get away, clear your mind, come back and you'll probably be in a better spot. And I feel like I think this is kind of made up, but I used to study for things in high school and like something complicated and I would like, I'm just not getting it. And I would like fall asleep, like take a nap, like while I was studying and then have an epiphany in my sleep and come back and be like, I get it now. Like that's probably kind of made up, but like, I think some of it's just like taking that step away, having your mind be distracted by something else to kind of open up your creativity or your understand, whatever it is. I don't know. But yeah, every time. I'm in one of those situations, in one of those moods, taking some time away and then coming back. I'm always in a better position. I think you're, there's something to that because um, 
I have that same experience where in, in college I'm a big night owl. And so I used to, and I'm a procrastinator as well. So <laughs> I would wait until the last minute study for my tests or like, um, start to do my research for whatever paper I was doing. I'd start maybe a couple hours before it was due, <laughs> <laughs> take like a quick half hour nap. And then all of a sudden I retained all of the information that I was like banging my head against the wall to try and understand. So, um, and I agree with that. Like same with debugging. If I, once I take some time away or it'll be like four o'clock in the morning, um, all of a sudden I'll have this epiphany and then all of the, the problems that I had are just kind of like, I've gotten solutions for everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And thinking about like the procrastination idea, I think a lot of us are in, feel like we're in that situation. And so I'm definitely one of those people that needs deadlines. Like if I, if I have a deadline, no matter how much I procrastinate, I'll get it done by the deadline. It may not like it makes some, some other personality type people very uncomfortable for the way that we probably are similar and like, we'll get it done, but it'll be right up to the deadline. Uh, but that's just, that's always been my driving factor of like, I know I have a deadline and I'll get it done by then. But otherwise I'm kind of taking my time and doing my own thing, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd like to dive more into that um, because when you're juggling a lot of things, um, part of it's work, part of it is just, you know, hobbies and things like that. And then part of it, you do a lot of things outside of work that um, you don't necessarily have to do. How do you, um, how do you get the motivation or um, where do those deadlines come from? What's your philosophy on that? Yeah. Um, one, I would say it's something I have a lot more area to grow in, uh, but I'll start with one concept of like being a developer advocate full time. There's so much overlap with what I want to do in my personal time anyway. So things like being on a podcast or being active in discord, being active on Twitter, uh, doing live streams, like all those different activities that may not seem directly related to work are also just part of me like not building my brand in terms of like growing an audience necessarily, but building trust and just being active in the community with people. So I think like so much of the activities that I do get to kind of fall under that work umbrella because I'm naturally genuinely being part of the community. So there's like, there's not sometimes as much of a divide where I'm spending like late night hours and stuff doing it. But I think a big uh, opportunity for me is organization. And so I've started to kind of put time blocks on my calendar for different things like a time block for demos, a time block in the morning for planning, a time block for um, I've got one literally on my calendar for database studies, because that's a big opportunity for me at Planet Scale. Like, I just need to learn more about how databases work so that I can have intelligent conversations with, um, you know, people in the community. Um, so I've been trying to kind of block time, I've been kind of hit or miss, like it's easy to just if it's on there on a regular basis to just kind of push it aside and not do it. So I have to kind of make sure that I try to use those time blocks. Um, and then I give myself deadlines for videos and articles and stuff. And I think one thing that really helps me there is to commit to the deadline like publicly and publicly may just be like internally publicly, but like communicating to someone else that I'm going to have a video or article ready by a certain date puts that pressure on me to make sure like I can disappoint myself. I don't want to disappoint other people more importantly. Um, so putting it out there is a good way to do that. And then another one is for talks for conferences. Like that's always been a huge way that speakers push themselves to create content. So you like what I end up doing is at the end of the, at the beginning of the year and then like six months in, I'll write 
three, four, five CFPs call for proposal. So it's just like the the title of a talk and a couple of paragraphs of what it's going to be. And most of the time, I don't have any content around that thing, around that talk specifically yet. And so depending on what conferences I get into and what talks get selected, now there's the motivation to say like, I'm not going to go to this conference and look like an idiot in front of hundreds of people. I'm going to do my work to prepare for it, but I'm only going to prepare for the talks that I actually have to give. So it's kind of a trick that um, a lot of speakers I've seen have kind of referenced of just like having that commitment is going to be that motivation to get that stuff done. And the last thing for me is uh, just overall burnout conversation and making sure that it's um, stuff I enjoy. So I just I try as hard as possible to not do anything that I don't enjoy. Like I've gone on these really like um, semi motivational, but like career rants of like if you're if you find yourself in your career doing a lot of stuff that you don't enjoy change something about what you're doing. Like it may be a different manager, it may be a different team, it may be a different company. And that stuff doesn't change overnight, but you should be like working towards doing less of the things you don't like and more of the stuff you do. Um, so with my personal content, for example, I get complete control over that, right? Like I get all decisions on, do I join a podcast? Do I run a podcast? Do I create a YouTube video? And so if I'm not feeling it, I don't do it. And most of the time I do feel it, so I feel pretty good about it. But if, I, if I'm just not into it, it's, I just kind of leave it alone. I love that. And I remember you saying that, and this was back when you were at Auth0, you mm-hmm. were um, kind of architecting your career. And and you said, you know, I just want to focus on the things that I like to do. And I don't want to do any of the things that I don't have to do. And I um, have seen the career progression so fast, um, where you just decided, okay, X, X, nope, this is not for me. Plus, this is for me. So I think that's wonderful. And that's kind of the same philosophy that I want to have with my life. Everybody knows pretty much that I'm a career switcher. And the whole reason I wanted to get into engineering, um, it was part of a 2020 slash 2019 decision to just create the life that I wanted. So when I hear things like that, um, and then I see people actually putting it into action, it's just, that's everything. That's amazing to me. I think that's the that's the beauty of the community as well is you get to see those stories, right? Like I I see people kind of there was there's one example. Um, this will be a little bit of a rant, so I apologize. But someone put a TikTok up that was like um, very adamant, like your social media presence is not going to get you a job in tech. Like it's about your technical chops and you have to know your stuff. And so I did like one of those like quote respond videos and i was like first off like we can agree like yes you have to know your stuff to get a job but can a social media presence that's curated around you building technical content and teaching around technical content influence your career and be like a secret to taking your career to the next level like 100 like there's no there's no way to debate that it can be something that can take you to the next level and open up many more opportunities and i've seen that over and over again for myself by like my i hate using network because it's just people that i know and engage with and i'm friends with but my like, I'm doing air quotes for people that are listening on audio, but my network has opened up tons of opportunities for me. Um, and I've seen this story repeated, yours being one, but over and over and over again, the people who take advantage of the opportunities they have in terms of like, whether it's a formal boot camp or whether it's just YouTube videos or a Udemy course or whatever, and take that to the next level by sharing their learning journey, engaging with other people that are learning and more experienced, and just sharing their story, like that leads to so many opportunities. And so in my, like, it's not, it's not debatable. Like I've seen proof of this over and over and over again, that that extra bit can really open up opportunities for people. 
Absolutely. A thousand percent. Yeah. And um, that is one piece of advice people will ask, like, you know, how did you, what did you need to know to interview at Netflix or at Sales Loft? Um, and I'm like, you know, that is not as important as how you explain what you can do or the the people that you meet through your conversations. You know, when you're applying for a job, um, everybody else, you can assume that most other people that are applying have those same technical skills. They have the same technical chops. Mm -hmm. So um, what else are you doing to stand out? And that social media aspect of it is a huge piece of it where you're kind of um, already paving a reputation for yourself. And so everybody that has conversations like, you know, hey, have you heard of James Quick? And people are like, yeah, he he does this video or like, um, yeah, I learned all of this from him. And so it's much easier for you to have those conversations if you want to get somebody on your podcast, if you want to interview for a position. Um, people already, they already know about you and they already have this great feeling about the skills that you have and what you'll bring culturally to the team. So I think that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I'll give the reverse. I don't know if it's the reverse of that, but coming back at you, um, the way that I invited you on my original Learning Quick live stream was Will Johnson sent me a message. I, I knew Will at the time. I had a lot of respect for Will. Will was like, I got somebody you need to bring on your stream. There, there was no like debate about that either, like talking about non-debatable things. It was like, okay, like trusted by Will, who I know I trust. Yep. And I sent you a message like the next day or whatever. And then a few weeks later, you were on the stream. So that, that stuff like scales out. Like it's the same thing with developer advocacy too, especially if you look at small companies, like we have a team of uh, two developer advocates right now. And if you think about our collective impact, our collective impact doesn't necessarily directly come from us. Like a lot of it does, but what's a bigger impact is now we are not selfishly influencing people, but genuinely influencing people sharing cool stuff that people believe in and relate to. And now they're telling people, now you see people at, with the planet scale example, now they're tweeting about the demo that they built. Now they're tweeting about the features of planet scale that they enjoy. And that's how you really get that scaled impact is like it filters down through these other people and other people are listening. Other people take advice and recommendations from people and they go and try that thing. Um, so it, it's not just like that direct connection. It's just whole big connected like graph tree thing. If we want to relate it back to some sort of programming related <laughs> thing uh, that just kind of like scales that message out. And I didn't even think about this, but I'm sure it makes it easier for you to do your job then too. Um, or it's kind of part of the job um, in a meta sense where, you know, I feel like part of your job is, or your job is kind of a, converse, a, a combination of technical and a little mm. bit of marketing as well for um, Planet Scaled. And so um, while you are learning doing the things, teaching the things and having fun, you're also educating people on this is what we do. This is how we stand out. This is how we compare to the other companies in this space or the other tools that are in this space. Um, people already have this trust for you because they know that they've learned this one thing from you. It might've been like authorization or it might've been like Next.js or something that you just kind of did as a hobby, but okay, well, I trust James's, um, expertise or I trust his opinions on things. And so maybe I'll give planet scale a look, or, um, mm -hmm. if I am in need of a tool, then it just makes that conversation a lot easier versus, um, somebody coming in cold and doing the sales things that I had to do <laughs> back in my sales day, uh, trying to educate people on a, on a certain space. And they didn't know about me, um, 
and I have a quota and they think I'm just in it for the money. So um, I feel like it makes it a much softer, not softer, but um, it makes it, it, it um, kind of warms up the conversation a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it becomes a natural extent, like all of it's an, a natural extension of, again, the things that I just enjoy doing anyway. And that's why I got back into, so I started as a technical evangelist at Microsoft. I did software development architecture for a few years at FedEx and just realized that I missed the, really the community, like the teaching and community um, pieces. And I was like, like paying for myself to go speak at conferences that I got accepted to. And I was creating videos like I am now, like I started to create them consistently. And I was like, this is the stuff that I want to do. Why, why would I not just go and get paid really well to do it? Like, it's just the natural extension. Um, so that's when I made that change to go from FedEx uh, to get back into developer advocacy at all zero. Um, and I needed that experience at FedEx, I think from a technical perspective, because the more you build that technical background, the more credibility you have in conversations. Cause the one thing that I never want to do going back to like, being genuine with an approach. I never want to be like planet scale is the best option without a conversation. Like it, that that's almost never the case. Like never can you definitively say without me understanding what your very specific needs are, that my thing is going to be the best thing for you like that. That's probably never really going to be true. Um, so like what then becomes necessary is the technical expertise to have those conversations to break down problems and solutions and help people um, kind of consider some of the things that we at Planet Scale or just any product might offer versus competitors as well. Um, so I think that that enables that natural kind of conversation that hopefully people trust over time, right? Like I don't, I try not to do definitive statements of I don't know, something is the best tool regardless on any of my messaging so that people know if I am really excited about something, it's because I really naturally believe in it and I think it's a good thing. Yeah, that's a tough balance to strike between, uh, obviously your job is to talk about your company's products and to, to do so genuinely, but then to balance that with what are the needs of the person I'm talking to and, and how does that relate to, um, what I'm providing, maintaining that trust, like you said, uh, seems like a, a balancing act. Yeah. And developer advocacy, I think for that exact reason, never quite fits anywhere fully. So like when I was a technical evangelist at Microsoft, we were in the sales organization and I started my career like week two was going to Atlanta actually for the big sales conference at Microsoft MGX with 20,000 people from all across the world, like really, really incredible, like eye opening thing coming out of college, but it's all so sales oriented. And they're talking about just the word, the simple word of customer customer is never a word that I use. And if I do, for some reason, like accidentally, I catch myself almost every time. And I'm like, I, like, it's not a customer, it's a developer, it's a community member, like, that's the way I think about stuff. And so it was always a little awkward of a fit there. Um, and at all zero, and then uh, planet scale, we've been part of marketing. And I think that's a more natural fit. But there's also some marketing discussions that are more specifically geared towards pipeline, like revenue generation. And that's not exactly what we do either. Um, I think the good thing is like developer advocacy is becoming more and more prevalent that more and more companies are one bought in on it and kind of understand the differences of like, we're not quite exactly what you're used to with sales and or marketing. We're kind of our own thing, but um, but in marketing, the last like last position in this one, I think has been the best fit. And it's been kind of a cool experience for me to learn more about like what formal marketing is, like what are all the things that people are trying 
to uh, to do to raise awareness to generate pipeline because at the end of the day businesses do need to make money and that's what um, sales and marketing are, are there to look to um, to increase and so we get to be kind of this natural extension of that that is like developer community focused and just hopefully 100% authentic and kind of true to to the community of the developer first if you were to build your own um, developer advocacy organization from scratch today would that fall under marketing or would it fall under something else? Probably marketing. I think that's like, that's what I'm most comfortable with. Um, but one other one that would be interesting to have a discussion around is like being a part of engineering or product. I don't know if those two things would be um, two separate things or what, but when you think about one of the big things that doesn't get talked about as much with developer advocacy is not the output it's the, um, or not the, pushing content out. It's the taking in feedback and, and kind of where the community is on certain things. So, um, that sort of stuff is really valuable. And, and if you look at like agile and the idea of the MVP, which you mentioned earlier, the idea of that is like you, you spend a short amount of time building something to get it in the hands of the people that you think are your users so that you validate, did I build the right thing? And are we on the right track for next things that we want to build? And if not, we adapt, right? Like we say, okay, we thought this was cool. Users don't care. So let's not build that. Let's build something else because otherwise we're wasting our time. So that's actually a big part of developer advocacy is like we would be the people that are most community facing. Like we're the most actively engaged with the developers that are that are out there that are like potentially customers, but mainly just community members. And we can take that feedback and be in touch and in tune with them of what they enjoy, what they don't, what features they need, what they don't. Um, so in that sense, I think one of the struggles that we've I've always kind of seen is building that relationship with product slash engineering and being able to pass on that feedback in a meaningful way. Um, so I think that would be a consideration too. Um, but one thing that is really cool about smaller companies, which Planet Scale, I started, it was like 80 and now we're 90 or something like that. So we've grown a little bit. But uh, one of the cool things is I've given feedback like in Slack from someone that sent me a DM on Twitter. And like the next hour, they're like, oh, can you let them know that we like updated this thing? And I'm just like mind blown. It's like, we just like, maybe it's something simple. Like maybe it's just a call out or a piece of text or something, or maybe it's like a little bit of functionality, but our ability as a small team to respond to that has such a personal connection to it, right? Like just imagine if you were to send feedback to a really big company, most likely they're not going to come back in an hour and say like, not only did we hear you, but we also built this into the platform to support because we think your feedback is incredibly valuable. Um, so that has been, I think, one of the coolest things at Planet Scale, just being at a smaller company of how quickly you can potentially respond to feedback and incorporate that into your product. That tight feedback loop is awesome uh, to be able to respond that quickly to customers. Yeah. And it's very unique to a, a small organization. Like, um, was that something that, what were some of the things that you considered when you um, started with Planet Scale or when you decided to move with Planet Scale? Yeah, I think that was, that was number one for me of just having this interest to know what it's like to be smaller. And like, if like, this is no time right now, uh, but it, whatever my next job would be, if it's working for someone else, it would be an even smaller company for the exact same reasons of just like, not only from my position and having that like feedback loop and having more tangible impact, I think like, it's just easier to see that impact um, when you're at a smaller company early on, but also having access to leadership like we just had our offsite in New Orleans and the CEO is just, I mean, just like everybody else in the world, just a regular person, cool to hang out with, cool to talk to, all those things. That's really awesome. Um, but also getting 
from my perspective, thinking about like longer term in my career, if maybe I build a SaaS product or maybe I'm um, a consultant for startups. I don't know if that's the right word, but some sort of like consulting hours for startups and DevRel and stuff, like seeing that stuff evolve from nothing, like building that stuff out from scratch is I think really interesting to me as well. So um, if, if, if there was a next opportunity for another company, then I would be looking like 20 people or whatever. And maybe I continue to go down that until I like start my own one day. But um, I don't know. I think that's, that's a really good learning opportunity for me from not just developer advocacy, but the other things that involve that are involved with growing and building a company. And also just like I said, being a tight knit group, knowing the people that you work with in different departments, having direct relationships with leadership. I think there's, there's just kind of something special about that for me. I think there are some, some myths about um, developer advocacy in general, and you addressed a couple of, of them that, uh, you know, for example, there are some, some things that you don't, you don't think about like the the marketing aspect of it, the sales aspect of developer advocacy. I think a lot of people from the outside looking in just see, well, I have more Twitter followers or um, <laughs> I'm building a name for myself, things like that. Um, what kinds of uh, other myths or considerations should somebody have if they're thinking about a career in developer advocacy? I wish we had... I don't know if I've ever quite thought about it that way. I wish we had a list of myths and I could be like, nope, nope, nope. Yes, yes. But um, one of them, I think, like people have kind of run with the idea of like, you can't start your career in developer advocacy. And I think to a certain point it is, it can be more difficult, but I think it's more about the right opportunity. But I look at my career. I started as a technical evangelist at one of the top tech companies in the world at Microsoft. And that was that's a unique situation because it was big enough to foster the growth of someone that's coming on. So you're like, if you're a brand new startup, you're probably not going to hire someone that's right out of college because you need someone that has more experience to contribute more directly initially. But if you're a bigger company, you have the ability to have mentors in, in your company that can help foster this relationship and foster this growth for people. And that's kind of the situation that I was in. So my mentor was not even in the same city. Um, I was in South Florida and he was in uh, Tampa area. But I learned so much from him to get up to speed in the community, to get up to speed on like how to give talks and presentations and stuff and kind of think about my career. Um, so I think that's one. It's like it's it's definitely doable to um, to start in developer advocacy. But the thing I will say, I think at a certain point, and this has proven true for me, like I absolutely needed that like, full-time engineering time at FedEx so that again, my technical expertise now is at a different level. I can have more intelligent conversations with people. Um, the other thing that I think is interesting is um, kind of like the, the glamour aspect of it. Like you see people that are like traveling and they're traveling to different countries, which I'm going to Europe in April and I'm like so excited about it. So I'm going to pitch it as if it's glamorous, but <laughs> the thing that, that you kind of forget or other people don't think about. It's like traveling is actually like really difficult and really tiring. And every time I do a trip or I go to an offsite, like I have a blast. It's so much fun. And I'm just exhausted. Like I'm, I'm really ready to be home. Cause I like my wife and I do so many activities to get, like I miss doing those things. Um, so I think as, as cool as it can be to get up on stage and like talk to a bunch of people and travel to different States or countries or wherever it is, like that still takes, not only a lot of preparation, because it's it's not an easy thing to get up on stage and talk to X number of people, 
but it's also just kind of a, a mentally um, draining and exhausting thing. Not to mention like during the actual travel yourself, you're not really, I'm not very productive. Like I almost don't work at all when I am actively traveling. Cause I'm just sitting back and trying to relax. So like yeah. not add any stress to my travel. <laughs> Um, so because of that, then it's like harder to do some of those other things that you might need to get done in a certain week. So I think the travel part can seem glamorous being up on stage is super cool. I love it. It's one of the best feelings in the world, but it does take a lot out of you at the end of the day. I bet. Do you think, um, would you have, would you recommend that folks pick a niche in their learning of technical knowledge? I think so. There's all sorts of opinions on this. One is like the T-shape thing where you have kind of a breadth of knowledge, but then you have something that would be like the the cross of the T, the top part. And then the the depth would be like learning more about one specific thing. Um, I think the biggest thing is more from a brand perspective. Is, and I feel like I, I don't know that I've done a great job of this myself at any given point in my career of like, what's the one thing that people know about you or know you for? And then how have you repeated that thing so they continue to see it? And I don't like, I do a lot of things in a lot of different places. I don't know if I have like that one specific thing where it's like James is the X person that does this or he built this thing. And that that thing can change, right? Like I see people building like small SaaS products or just like something they're interested in over the course of six months. That's going to be the thing that they're known for, right? Because they're posting about it. They're sharing updates. They're streaming about it. And people start to know you for that thing. Um, so I think like obviously there's career implications and opportunity implications. Um, but from developer advocacy perspective, I think that kind of niching is useful just for familiarity. Like people see you in one spot, they see you in another and they have this connection of like, okay, that's the person that does this thing. I'm, I'm definitely going to follow them if they're ever talking about whatever that topic is, I guess. Yeah. So we have that, we have the same T-shaped engineer concept at Netflix and where the base of the, or the trunk of the tree is for me is JavaScript. And maybe that's too broad. Um, maybe I need to narrow it down to like a framework or like, like React, or maybe it needs to be a React framework or something. So, um, and then from there, I just expand. You guys can't see my arms if you're listening, <laughs> but <laughs> I have wings out right now. <laughs> that's the fun thing about podcasts is doing visual demonstrations for like whatever your cues are um, the best but for for the t-shape idea i think one thing to add is like that constantly evolves too right and i think it i think it should be an intentional t-shape that evolves based on what your opportunities are so looking at like what is what kind of skill set does your team potentially lack can you help fill that void like if there's not a react developer even early on in your career, you can now be that React developer and kind of have some recognition and earn some leadership and kind of thinking towards um, natural progression of a developer like senior title and beyond. Like that comes from leadership and teaching other people and taking ownership. And so you can kind of look at what are the opportunities within your company, within your team to take in and learn that area uh, to be that leader and look externally as well. Like if you're looking to potentially transition companies, what opportunities are out there and what gaps can you help fill at other companies? And you can use that to kind of influence, like, how do I prepare for interviews? Well, maybe it's I go and practice with React so I can go and talk more intelligently about React because I know they have a lack of React experience at their company. Uh, so, yeah, I think like having that T-shape is a great thing to have, but don't let it like limit you from evolving in the future based on 
what you want your career and your focus and your interests to be going forward. I think you touched on a lot of great points. And I especially love um, when you're interviewing to point out the fact that what you have to offer, even if it is kind of the same as what you think the other engineers on the team might have to offer, but just point out the unique way or the unique spin that you provide for it. Um, And I think on the last Twitch stream that I did with you, James, on um, your Compressed podcast, we talked about um, how I brought my sales skills actually into the conversation in the interview process. But, um, you know, if your experience is just like a different spin on React or you just think of things in a different way, just make sure that you articulate that and how the unique skills that you bring to the team. Or maybe, you know, you're a great React developer, but you're also a great teacher. So you can help to bring up the juniors or take the backend engineers and get them more familiar with little nuances in the front end or how to think of things um, in more of a web development front end centric way. Yeah, that's, that's definitely a topic that I love is this ability of like crafting, crafting your story to sell yourself. And like, especially people that are new to programming have a hard time doing that because they're, they're like, I don't have a programming job. And you can craft a story around things that are not directly code related, right? Like you mentioned the teaching thing or having a sales background, emotionally understanding how to communicate with people and first focus on like, what are their needs to then respond to them? Um, Thinking about user experience. I think we talked a lot about that on the uh, compressed podcast as well. Um, So yeah, I think it's all about like figuring out what that thing or a couple of things are and then learning how to shape and craft those into a story that's going to be impactful in the interviews that you have with companies. And if you, if you don't have confidence when you tell that story, it's going to show. Um, and so the other piece of advice is like, if you're not actually confident in it, learn how to fake it because you, you have to portray, like, if you don't believe in yourself, nobody else is going to believe in you. So you have to like almost trick yourself into some confidence at some point to make sure that you're portraying, um, yourself in the way that you want to be portrayed. If you are looking to get into the developer advocacy space and you don't, really have the confidence or you don't feel like you're a great speaker um is that something that you practice or how do you get better at um conveying confidence when you don't really have it so there's there's this idea that people have of making yourself uncomfortable comfortable and people use that as like blanket advice a lot of times like you should you should just make yourself uncomfortable and you'll grow you'll grow I think that's really dumb to be honest. And here's the caveat, like push yourself to do things that make you uncomfortable that you know are going to benefit you in your career. So be like, do that intentionally. Don't just do uncomfortable things to do it. Like do it for a reason that's actually going to mean something. So example of that would be if you want to get into developer advocacy and you don't think you're a great speaker and you're nervous about speaking, you have to make yourself uncomfortable and go give talks. Like you have to go do a live stream, do a meetup, start small. Like you're not applying for like the big JS conferences where it's a thousand people like start small, but you have to start if that's like, if that's your goal and you want to be a developer advocate, you have to practice giving talks. You have to practice creating content, whatever it may be. You have to practice being on a podcast and live stream. So you're going to feel uncomfortable. Um, but those are those are situations where you want to be uncomfortable because you know you're working towards um, the thing that you ultimately want to get to. So good. Yeah. It reminds me of um, 
I feel like I'm talking about myself a lot here, but <laughs> reminds me of <laughs> reminds me of a time that I was awesome. Got it. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> a time I didn't feel like I was confident, but I didn't have any reason not to be. <laughs> um, when I when I started my journey, it wasn't it wasn't in the effort to get into developer advocacy. This was more um, to get into engineering, but that was where I started. Was um, letting myself be uncomfortable, and in 2021. Um, at the beginning of the year, I had this story in my head of how I was as a public speaker. And it was a negative story about how terrible of a public speaker I was. And um, I just took opportunities to speak because I saw that speaking would, as we talked about before, it helps to um, give you a reputation, provide you a reputation that precedes you in the interview process. And I wanted the opportunity to learn more about tech. And I was going to learn that through teaching. And then I also wanted to not build fame around myself, but just get other people in the community to know me to, to bring more opportunities to me. So um, for you, when it comes to educating in tech, what kinds of things do you, do you get out of it? I guess the developer advocacy part of it is uh, probably a huge part of it. <laughs> but yeah, what I was going to say one is money, but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what other things do you get out of um, educating in tech? Yeah. Um, I never, growing up, I never would have considered myself to be interested in being a teacher. Um, so teacher can mean a lot of different things, um, which developer advocacy is a teacher. And I've also done like formal teaching of boot camps and stuff. But like my sister, she that was what she always wanted to do like she'll she'll go back to like she was 10 years old or whatever and she would line up her stuffed animals and she would like teach a class like that she like knew early on she wanted to be a teacher and she still teaches to this day that was never a thought that i ever had um but i have always been really interested and enjoying being around people um actually had an interesting conversation about like me being introvert versus extrovert mostly extroverted but i definitely have some introverted moments but I've always enjoyed being around people. And um, that certainly became true as a technical evangelist at Microsoft, being at conferences, being at, in the communities, and really getting inspired. So we worked with a lot of startups in New York City, for example, a lot of students. Like if had those students applied at the same time I was applying for the job, I never would have gotten like they're so talented. Um, and just to see like these people that I talk a lot about, like taking control of their careers, learning the things that they wanted to learn, building the things that they wanted to learn, was just really, really inspiring for me and gave me lots of energy, which is where I get a lot of the like motivational stuff that I talk about now. Um, so what do I get out of the teaching aspect of it? I, I love to see other people succeed. I love to be a part of um, that career change, like having taught two rounds of a boot camp, like there's nothing cooler than like grinding with these people for six months. And then the next six months, it's like every couple of weeks, Hey, I got, I got my first job. Hey, I just got a promotion or like, Hey, I like joined on this, like not probationary thing, but like a, a three month kind of internship thing. And then like, okay, I did, I did good. And now I've got a full-time offer. And these people are like, they were doing this while they have families and they were working full time and they were doing our classes at night. Like these are people that are just completely, you know about this, but completely changing their careers and everything that comes along with that impact of being a developer with money and culture and benefits, things that people hadn't experienced before. So that is like very emotional, but very, very intense of 
a thing to be a part of, like just very special, I guess. So that's kind of like direct impact of uh, like kind of life-changing stuff. And then there's just like, I just enjoy, I've learned to love creating content as a whole. So that's a big part of it. Um, selfishly, I love being the center of attention. Like I, I can share that sometimes. So like, I love being on stage and everybody's looking at me. So I have some of that like ego stuff, ego centric side of it too. But I love more the comments from people of I learned something. I now think about this in a different way. I didn't know that I'd never seen that before. I really appreciate your effort and stuff. That's the kind of stuff that really excites me. So it's it's the ability to like learn, but I or excuse me, teach. But I also feel like I'm learning constantly and getting inspired constantly by the people around me, which gives me this like never ending optimism of my career that I'm then excited to now share back with the rest of, uh, rest of the people that I engage with. That's so good. Um, I want to keep it on that positive note. Um, so we'll wrap up the interview portion and the last part of every Crowd Chronicles episode is where we have our guests share a story and that can be whatever story comes to mind, something that you're parents would share about you, um, something that happened to you the other day, something like an untrue story that you've heard that you wanted to share, but um, I'll let you take it away, James. Yeah. Um, So I've kind of alluded to this already, but uh, last week, the entire PlanetScale company, with the exception of a few people that couldn't uh, make it, unfortunately, uh, were in New Orleans for our offsite. And I never got to do a full offsite with Auth0, which like really makes me sad now looking back at it. Um, and I will actually get to meet a few of those people uh, coming up at conferences. So I'm super excited about that. But um, as as amazing as remote work is, and uh, as many friends as I've made on the internet through Twitter and live streams and stuff in the past year or a couple of years, there's absolutely nothing like being able to hang out with people in person. And um, I posted this on Twitter yesterday that I'm just really fortunate to work with so I like I think some of the most talented people in the world and I got to appreciate that even more by being around people in person because super 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 technical engineers super 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 skilled designers and marketers and and they're also just really cool people I think that's the thing that these relationships and this engaging with people aspect that I really enjoy comes from people just being people at the end of the day um so it was just inspiring for me I think to be around my entire team to get kind of um, reinvigorated for all the stuff that we're doing and excited about it and even more excited by knowing the people behind it. Um, Not to mention the trip was just awesome. We had like everything was planned out. We had like a there was a name for it, like a cultural chaperone that was like we would take a bus to lunch somewhere and it would be like, okay, here's this building and here's the history behind that. So everywhere we went, we had like someone from New Orleans kind of telling us about uh, the history and the culture and stuff, which is just really, really cool. Um, So anyway, uh, as good as virtual stuff is, as amazing as it is to do things like this, there's just nothing like being in person with people, especially in a cool city like uh, New Orleans. So I had a blast, got really inspired. I'm super excited for all the stuff that we're doing and to see more people at conferences in the future, which I think we figured out a couple weeks ago, Shonday, that we don't have any overlapping conferences coming up, (laughs) but hopefully uh, sometime in the next year, one of them will work out. I love it. Um, so I do have one question about your trip, and perhaps most importantly, <laughs> did you get any beignets when you were down there? See, this is this is the thing, and this is where I will take this a different direction. 
I've been to New Orleans. I've had beignets before, and I like it's it's just it's like a donut, right? Like it's not, it's just a thing. It's not all that special oh, to me. So this is <laughs> this is the conversation I've I've had with a lot of people because they ask the same question. So I did not go out of my way to have beignets while I was there. What about seafood? Are you a seafood fan? I had a I had a lot of shrimp. Um, had fried oysters um that were like creole breaded like a creole corn breading thing that was like delicious there was tons of really really good food so i had lots of seafood mainly shrimp and oysters uh but no beignets yeah so i can i'll take all the the backlash that comes with that (laughs) (laughs) fair enough (laughs) thank you james for joining us it's been great as always talking with you if folks are looking for you where can they find you these days uh, James Q Quick on lots of things, uh, YouTube, uh, Twitter. I'm back on Instagram, although I'm not very active. There's a I got banned from Instagram if I haven't shared that story. There's not really a story. I just woke up one day and I didn't have an account anymore, so I created a new one. Um, yeah, yeah, it made me upset too. And uh, and TikTok is probably the last one. Awesome. Thank you again, and thanks for everyone joining the Code Chronicles podcast. Thank you for listening to the Code Chronicles podcast, hosted by Ray Gisualdo and Shande Person. See you next time.